0: In a world full of confusing conversations that divides the world into black and white, our hosts invite listeners to abandon duality and live in the gray. By approaching each topic with unapologetic boldness, clarity, and nuance, even we know that leans into the opportunity to say the quiet parts out loud. Now, here are our hosts, LaToya Green and Kat Schwartz.
1: Hello out there, wherever you are and wherever you are listening, whether you're listening to us live or catching us on one of the many streaming platforms, the show is available. Thank you so much for joining us on Even We Know That. My name is Latoya Green, and I am here with Kat Schwarz. Kat, say hello to the people.
2: Hello, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Absolutely. So excited to kick it off with our first kind of get to know you session for Even We Know That. The intro said a lot. But our biggest hook, our biggest kind of mantra here is saying the quiet parts out loud. And so we invite you all to join in if you're listening live and want to comment on the chat. If you want to leave comments wherever you're listening, if you want to meet us on our social media platforms at Toya Green or at Toya G, at T-O-Y-U-H-G-E-E, or Kat, where can they find you on Instagram if they want to reach out to you?
2: At Compassionate Healing Services
1: at Compassion and Healing Services. So uh, looking forward to a few weeks of having some vibrant conversation, won't delay the inevitable too long because we have a lot of questions we want to ask each other and by the way these are questions that we don't already know the answers to uh, <laughs> kind of agreed on the substance of the discussion but what we come up with will be up to us a lot of things we want to make connections with Kat before we get to the specific questions I guess the obvious is to drop I mean drop that resume a little bit talk to our audience about who you are in terms of your background in terms of a quick just bio that encapsulates who Cat Schwartz is.
2: Absolutely. So I academically was trained as a physical therapist. I was a, worked as a physical therapist for about 20 years, and then through some very personal experiences with my own mental health, devolving uh, to the point of suicidality in 2017, and really recovering from that through what are, would be considered very um, alternative methodologies, if you will, Um, Really became passionate about mental health care. And I consider myself now a suicide prevention and complex trauma specialist. I do have a certification through the um, state of New Jersey for the ACEs or Adverse Childhood Experiences um, interface curriculum. Mm -hmm. I am a Reiki master of masters. I do my healing work now as an energy healer and as a medium of spirit.
1: Love it. Amazing. There's a lot of those qualifications. Of and I should we-
2: say the reason my Instagram is at Compassionate Healing Services, because Compassionate Healing Services is, of course, the name of my business.
1: Love it. Love it. Um, I think some of the gravitational pull of me and Kat's relationship has a lot to do with the things that you heard about. Just so uh, well-versed and multi-talented and equipped in a lot of different uh ways of thinking and orienting ourselves toward higher quality lives that just somebody I really am excited to glean from. For myself personally, Latoya Green, born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, currently living in Orange County, California. I am, whoever, excuse me, couldn't even get it out. I'm so excited (laughs) to be uh, a professor and the director of debate at California State University Mm -hmm. of Fullerton. Um, Also uh, a lecturer here in the Department of Human Communication Studies, I have a background in argumentation and debate as well as activisms, uh, looking at them through both a theoretical and a performative lens. So the way that activism has been created and the status quo, particularly in the context of pl- Black people, women and queer folk, uh, but also more specifically how we materialize some of those activisms on the day to day. Um, even outside of that, uh, having my own experiences and backgrounds in mental wellness um, and relationship with mental health, uh, teaching about it and being in a space in academia where we are at the front lines of a lot of emerging conversations about mental health and how we best deal with and bridge the gap between people in general, but more specifically students, people at the cusp of not quite being children, but really at the forefront of their adulthood um, and folks uh, you know, along the way. In that journey, who experience a litany of things and are looking for places and people to relate to in that regard. So super excited to work with Kat exploring the intersections between intersectionality or the variety of things that make up and shape our identities and who we are as people, but also trauma. And then lastly, looking at spirituality and how we tie those things in a neat little bow uh, to have meaningful conversations and dialogues about how we become better versions of ourselves from day to day um I'll start off with the first question now that we got our quick intros out of the way and the first question (laughs) is uh why did Kat why why did you agree or you really kind of came up with the idea but how did we get to even we know that like how did we go from what's the name of our show to such a verbose and like that's a declaration right even we know that exclamation point right what what is the vibe for that how did you get to even we know that
2: for sure. Well, I think it'd be fun for our audience to hear just quickly how we met and how the show even came about, which was I actually hired Toya as a coach. Her her uh, higher definition, LEC, stands for Leadership and Empowerment Coaching. And I found her through her social media. I was very drawn to her messaging and I hired her as a coach. And we met several times and she kept failing to bill me. <laughs> <laughs> and I when I finally said Toya, Hey, what, what's up? We keep meeting and you stuck and you're not uh haven't sent me any bills. You had said, you know, it feels like we're really learning from each other, right? It feels like Absolutely. I'm learning as much from you as you're learning from me. So at that point, I took I shot my shot and I said, mm-hmm. How about we do a podcast together? So I was thrilled when you said yes. And as far as the name, I'll give a shout out to my favorite music artist, Sarah Bareilles mm-hmm. uh, I will not sing on air, <laughs> but <laughs> um, as part of um one of her uh hits, Love Song in the beginning verse is a is a line about um, keeping um, head underwater but they tell me to breathe easy for a while breathing gets harder even I know that right and um, it struck me as um, as a just kind of a nod to how much we have to add to this conversation Toya when I think a lot of people would dismiss us right? A lot of people would dismiss us for a variety of factors, right? Um, and I know that we have a lot to say that will benefit, um, you know, people, you know, everywhere, but especially people like who look like us and who relate to us and whose voices are often silenced, right? So It's important for us to add to the conversation. Um, and yeah, and I thought the, um, the title was a bit a bit tongue-in-cheek <laughs> which we're we're not afraid to do right we're not afraid to be bold and to yeah. say as you said to say the quiet parts out loud
1: period 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 you know i think one of my favorite parts of kind of developing the name of the show and agreeing on one is and you did sing for me you sung some Sarah Burroughs for me and I don't know if you expected me to know the song but not know the song as a millennial as a 90s child um definitely familiar definitely my repertoire I think probably a, um you remember now music um I'm almost certain that Sarah was in a commercial or two on TRL I saw her. And so the the messaging, it, it just really clicked because yeah. I think it is a great culmination of our backgrounds, our experiences, our uh, orientations, our perceptions, the way we feel on the inside, the ways we try to live on the outside. And so 1000% oh, co-sign the name of this show. So I think I mean, and again, we have some more kind of serious, whatever questions that we need to get on the table that I think will help you all get familiar with us. But we also have some more open-ended, just kind of speak to this type of questions that we're going to get into today. Um, I briefly hat-tipped my background and where I'm from in terms of being from Kansas City, and I'll talk a little bit more about where I live and how those experiences have shaped where I am now. But give us some more on your background, like where you're from and how that has shaped and influenced the cat that we are seeing right now today.
2: Absolutely. So I'm originally from Hempstead, New York, which is on Long Island, about 10 miles from the Queens border. Um, born and raised there until I was 18, and I moved to uh, South Jersey where I currently reside. And as far as um, how that shaped me, you know, I think that's what we want to know from your uh, from your background. Um, Hempstead, New York is um, a historically Black town or predominantly Black town. Um, I was, um, you know, all my schooling was through uh, the Catholic school system.
0: Mm.
2: Um, All of my, um, I did go to a um, public school as a preschooler um, and, you know, had a had the experience of being the only white child in my class right the majority of my neighbors were black i have Mm -hmm. black family members my beloved uncle peter was black and i say all that to say that um when it came to being conditioned as every white person in this country is um in a white supremacist society when i started hearing those messages and it was primarily from my um my father's radio, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's such a um, full circle for me that we're putting our voices out in in this way because it was really um, the the people I was subjected to listen to as a young girl, such as Rush Limbaugh mm-hmm. and Don Imus. And I'm sorry, DVDs. I'm so sorry. Exactly, right? Like yeah. these highly um, conservative uh, voices when i started hearing that messaging it hit me differently because there was so much cognitive dissonance around what i knew mm-hmm. <laughs> right about about my black community members my friends my family members and what the my dad's radio let's say was telling me right and it, there was just this instant um uh, amount of cognitive dissonance around no that's not you know that that's just not true and i i you know i've been having these types of conversations within my own family since i was a, a preteen right. right and um so i think that's that's the only thing i i i think is important about my background is just to to know that um you know i grew up with a very robust and real understanding of Um, Not not the black struggle. I'm in no way saying that, but more actually black joy. (laughs) Right. And, um, you know, because what we're taught as as white people in a racist country, it's almost like we're taught that black people are a monolith. Mm -hmm. Right. Very much so that in which um there is a higher degree of criminality and things of that nature which is just total bullshit right it's just p- conditioned bullshit that we're taught and i think for me in particular it was just easier for me to um to see those lies for what mm-hmm. they were and it's definitely shaped who i am today in a in a very strong way
1: amazing amazing i know you know i think our our, our backgrounds are similar a little Uh, Different and distinct in terms of, for sure, regionally. Um, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. So uh, not to be conflated with Kansas City, Kansas, there are two of them. I'm at the bigger and better one um, (laughs) from the bigger and better one rather uh, the one of the home, you know, the, the 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 champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Y'all are gonna get sick of me. And all my right, Chiefs. all <laughs> right.
2: I, I was, a, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, so she yes. just had to push that in there. Yes, God, congratulations on your Super
1: Bowl win. I hope you've been healing through your issues. Um, but yeah, coming from Kansas City, <laughs> inner city, urban Kansas City, um, in the heart of what is the urban core, right? So grew up clearly around a lot of Black people, grew up in a very Christian household, had my own relationship to uh, Christianity, served in my church, was a youth leader, was a choir director, had a lot of backgrounds that led me to really honestly find some of the tension that a lot of people see in it, because I didn't have the same and don't have the same relationship to faith and Christianity as a lot of queer folk do, even as a lot of Black people, as we've fallen into deeper consciousness about the way that the world has led us into, you know, systems of faith, uh, not even as resistant to it as even some of those folks. Folks, And so I spent a lot of time just coming from that background, teasing together and uh, suturing together and negotiating and navigating different parts of my Blackness, different parts of my queerness in relationship to that um, and we'll talk some about some of that later on in some of our conversations in weeks to come. But um, grew up in Kansas City's urban core, went uh, to college then in a quick plot twist uh, in central Kansas and in Kansas, where I got the opportunity to debate and compete against some of the sharpest minds in intercollegiate uh, argumentation across the country. You pick your Harvard, your Northwestern, your Georgetowns, your University of Texas, your Cal berkeley's I beat them all. Right, and so having like
2: what am I thinking, honestly? What am I thinking, engaging <laughs> with a, a master debater?
1: You're on you're, you're on the right side of the equation, right? When you're not on the wrong side of the issue, you end up these, these conversations fail. But I, I point to that because that experience really helped me to tease together my arsenal um, and kind of context for living an intersectional life, starting to understand the realities of other people's uh, lives, but also powers and systems of uh, control and domination, white supremacy patriarchy, capitalism, uh, able-bodiedness, right, all of them work together to create a very certain and particular reality for people in this world that uh, shaped my relationship to real life and shaped my relationship to academia. I was able to go to graduate school, Wake Forest University, and coach their debate team to some prominence using those same backgrounds and skills and analysis and, and logic, and so That leads me to a professorship. That leads me to talking in front of of audiences. You talk about my background in leadership, training and development with higher definition. And so a bunch of different things that have shaped the outlook and the perspective that I have on this world. And the way I try to engage with folks and meet beautiful people like you out in the world who are working to piece together uh, a reality for themselves and for the people that they're networked with to be a little bit better, better a little bit different <laughs> and a little bit stronger when it's all said and done. Not bitter, right? You no, you a little bit with that, with the Eagles thing, but we don't want to make people bitter, Kat. We want to make people better. How many right? times
2: are you going to bring it out? Just so I can prepare myself.
1: It's still <laughs> fresh for me. So, <laughs> so um, it'll, it'll be June and we'll <laughs> <laughs> talking about the the Kansas City Chiefs. But no, um, a, a beautiful team, a beautiful squad. I know we have to go for a break here in a second. When we come back, we have some more questions to get into. We're just at the tip of the iceberg. We're about to get a little bit deeper Um, as soon as we are done with our break. So come back and hang out with us.
0: Trauma, spirituality, and intersectionality are common threads that tie our life experiences together. Understanding trauma, exploring spirituality as a tool to heal, and looking at it all through an intersectional lens is what makes our show unique. By tuning in to Even We Know That with LaToya Green and Kat Schwartz, you will gain valuable insight and clarity on the issues that affect us most, whether you realize it or not. Tune in on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. eager to hear your message the world awaits contact us today to become an inspired choices network radio host email become a host at inspired choices network.com this is even we know that with Latoya green and catch wars to participate in the program join the live studio audience in our chat room at inspired you can also send an email to even we know that at gmail.com now back to the program
1: already we're back getting deeper into the conversation this afternoon. You heard about the ability to jump in and engage in these conversations. So if you're listening, I hope you're in the chat talking to us. Sarah, Karen, uh, Christine, Kim, amazing feedback already. Thank you all so much for just, you know, being there to push us a little bit further in this conversation as we get to know each other. Cat. Uh, are there some questions you have that you want to talk to? So I don't want to haul all the question asking. This is not an interview. This is a very informal process that we're in right now. So um, I want to share some of that time with you. Anything you want to throw out there for these folks to get to know us?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to ask, you know, we've talked about our <laughs> show being about trauma and spirituality and intersectionality. So I want to talk about what that means to you, right? What, is that, what does that mean to you? And also whether you'd consider yourself a feminist and why?
1: Got you. Okay, so I'll start with the part A of the question and move to the part B of it. Um, I think the ways that trauma, spirituality, and intersectionality work together are very unique in that trauma is uh, no respecter of person. What I mean by that is that everybody has experienced trauma. We witnessed this trauma individually. Um, we, in, we witness or experience trauma in our small groups that we live in, our family units, whether that's by blood or family that we choose. We experience trauma in terms of workplaces and especially now in this economy, trying to survive and exist in ways that improve our quality of life. But we also, um, in a lot of ways, experience collective trauma. I have a great example of collective trauma. We again, uh, find ourselves with bowed heads and broken hearts about the uncontrolled gun violence that exists in this country with the tragedy that happened down in Nashville. And so moments like that are opportunities for us to not move further away, but I find an interesting way, uh, opportunity for us to lean in and really understand trauma. And how it shapes um, and is influenced by our past, how it has a hand in our present and how it shapes and organizes our future. So when I think about trauma and then relating that with spirituality, not only do we share the capacity to experience trauma, but we always also share a capacity to, to understand and move through it and maybe do so in ways that are not you know constantly or easily or readily available to us or presented to us in ways that are always accessible right so not everybody has health insurance not everybody has the ability to access a therapist and those are important ways that exist for us to heal from our traumas but not only that thinking about uh, our relationship to the world outside of ourselves thinking about um you know the the karma the love the intent that we put out into the world thinking about the way um, that that trauma shapes and informs relationships that we build and how we connect with it and how we create community and networks, right? So those are all spiritual things. We exist in very spiritual ways and relationships to each other. So not just trauma, but also the other, the bright side of trauma, the healing of trauma, the dealing with trauma, the confrontation with that trauma that makes us powerful beings uh, that have not just natural power, but even supernatural power that exists above and on top of who we are and as we exist every day. And then the intersectionality bit is just that there are so many different voices and perspectives about both trauma and spirituality, relationship they're in, and so forth, even about the ways that we look at mass. Shooting. The way that we understand uh, white supremacy, the way that we, and I'll get to the feminist bit in a minute, but the way that we understand um, feminisms, right? Mm -hmm. And I say feminisms because there's not one way to do that either, right? A lot of the ways that we understand even theories like feminism are very intersectional, meaning they take uh, a monolithic, right, or non-monolithic, mono meaning one, but a very diverse orientation toward explaining what is or what is not, right? Looking and taking the background of people who have experience in Uh, uh, critical race theory. I know that's a buzzword out here in the world, but the various lenses of race and racialization that shape our realities on top of the positionalities of people like disabled folks, like immigrants or non-citizens, people who have a different relationship to uh, citizenship, Uh, 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 children, right? There's just so many. You pick a group of diversity and we want to make sure that we are thinking about and engaging in our conversations from a variety of standpoints. So am I a feminist? Yes. Am I a black feminist? Absolutely. Am I a a third wave, almost fourth wave feminist? Absolutely. One who looks beyond and past some of the stigma that is attached and associated with what we know to be feminism and looks at how we create stability and equality in this world using a variety of mediums and of lenses, primarily ones who, from my perspective, come from strong black women. So that's my brand of feminism. Mm -hmm. What about you? Like what? What's, what's your take? Who are you in relationship to these three themes that we have in, in feminism?
2: Well, I'll start with yes, I am white and yes, I am a <laughs> feminist, but I am not a white feminist. Right. <laughs> and I want to talk about that, what that means, you know, and um, and really the ways in which white supremacy has infused its way into um, a lot of feminist theory, right? Where white women have historically taken on the only the issues that affect white women as opposed to the the issues that affect the most marginalized among us. So, you know, no, I am not a white feminist. I am an intersectional feminist. And, um and I agree with everything that you said in regards to trauma. And what I would say, one thing I left out of my personal background, you mentioned your Christian background, I was raised Catholic Mm. right I was faithful in that until I was 21 years old and when my father died my faith essentially died along with him Mm. and I spent the next 18 years as an atheist and that radically changed in 2018 I'm sure we'll talk more in other episodes about that but um, but really what it helped me to understand is that know when we talk about spirituality another word for that is energy right and we know even from um our limited science that energy is everything and everything is energy right so when we talk about trauma and spirituality and intersectionality to me we're just really talking about um the ways in which the um we are all affected right because whether you are consciously affected by these issues or not? You are being affected by them, right? Absolutely. And I think it's our uh, denial of that reality that's causing so much suffering and causing so much of the the problems that people like you and I are really focused on um, helping. Um, persisting right because people aren't even willing to say the problem out loud right yeah. you know um, much less and I don't think I think and oftentimes that it's not so much that the the um, the problem is complex it's that the application of the solution is highly complex yeah. right yeah. and um, so yeah so I think that's um an important distinction, of course.
1: Absolutely. You know, and Karen agrees with the term um, intersectional feminist and how mm-hmm. effective and poignant that is to really describe or, or, or explain how you situate yourself in some of the tension and then some of the stigmatization of how we've grown to understand feminism, right? I don't think we've really grown and evolved with how we describe or explain it because so many times in the past, historically, it's been caricaturized, right? It's been used as a way to embellish or to flat out lie about what the goal mm-hmm. and the agenda is for individuals who are commit committed to feminism, but that intersectionality is so important. When I talk about my relationship to feminism, I am as much a feminist in the sense that I am pissed and angry and frustrated with what's happened with Roe v. Wade in this country, and you know the the challenges and the obstacles that certain women in in this country are facing not just women, but I'll also like to say uh, uh, individuals with the capacity to birth a child, because mm-hmm. I'm just as invested in that conversation as I am with the way that trans folks are being treated and being castigated, castigated and marginalized and slandered and targeted um, in this country. Both of those are not intentions. So all my turfs take a seat. If you're a trans-exclusive feminist, we we don't want you here. Uh, also, if you don't understand the ways that race influences and shapes the experiences of Black women, Brown women. Asian women in particular, and how that's a little different from the experiences that white women, not completely different, but different enough and distinct enough from the experiences that white women, for example, experience. This is not the conversation for you, right? And so uh, want to be sure that we're constantly shaping things in that lens. Speaking of feminism, right, and queerness or transness. Mm -hmm. Are are you, you, (laughs) I was going to say, are you a gay? But I'll be more formal than that. Uh, Queerness is another thematic way that we will be shaping influence in this conversation. So how do you understand yourself in proximity to that identity?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question because I was married to a man for um I believe it was 13 years. We were together for 15. I had always identified myself as straight through um through my pub- pubescent years all the way into my mid 30s and um and in my mid 30s I as my marriage started to uh, show signs of um Fracture, I did at that point discover within myself an attraction to women that was very, very surprising. But at the same time, so much of what I had gone through as a younger woman and even what had contributed to my suicidality was the loss of my very, very close female friendships. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that for me, women have always been where I found my emotional support, right? Where I found my emotional safety. And even though those were all platonic relationships until I was in my mid thirties. It was really the loss of that, um, those friendships and those yeah. women, um, in my life that made it, um, you know, that, that really opened my, opened my mind, I would guess to, um, to a, a sexual relationship with a woman. So yes, I am in a queer relationship relationship right now Um, I'm very happily engaged to my partner Alexandra and um, she too has a lot of mental health struggles that have been very um, informative and um, have helped me really to understand um, mental health in in a different way my company um, tagline I guess you would say is mental health done differently right because it's something that um, that someone like me is going to look at um, mental illness in a much, much different way than than what is considered um, normal. So um, yeah, so how about you? Tell us. I too,
1: identify um, as a queer. Uh, and more specifically, honestly, using that terminology, I really mm-hmm. found in my relationship to intimate partners and also uh, the way that even my gender exists is one that falls uh, in the gray in the air areas of indeterminance um, and of inexplicability, or at least in ways that I don't desire, desire to explain to anybody outside of myself and my partner. So I uh, am fortunate to be in a uh, in a solid burgeoning partnership. We'll describe it like that, but definitely good people in my life, uh, solid love coming from sources, specifically black women at this period and stage of my life that have really been formative and shaped not only uh, the way that I look at intimate relationships and building those intimate relationships, but also how I look at, you know, the way that I advocate, the way that I take up space in a variety of institutions, whether it be academically or professionally or even socially, um, and the positionality that I've taken uh, in relationship to other people's uh, causes and issues and advocacies and the ways that I stand up and in, 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 perform my allyship it has a lot to do with the ways that you know my intimate relationships and just queerness as a positionality and orientation for the world has taken shape so I love girls uh but I also I love people right you mentioned you know your past relationships I don't necessarily uh preclude the opportunity to be in a relationship with a man I don't think that uh current norms of masculinity and manness of cisgendered manness Are quite compatible with how I kick it, but good people are good people, and I think my heart connects to that, and so uh, I try to be a good person. Yeah, I mean,
2: (laughs) as somebody who's raising two, you know, at least as far as I'm aware, cisgender, hetero uh, men. You know, yeah. I certainly am not here to bash men, and we're not at all. Yeah, it's not the goal. Um, you know, it's toxic masculinity that we're fighting, right? Yeah. And that's um, that's something that is not inherent to men. <laughs> it's something that has been taught by our society, um, and it's hurting all of us, right? Just like white supremacy is hurting white people just as much as people exactly. of color patriarchy is hurting men just as much as women right
1: so look it's you, um, look at you sound like a feminist look at, <laughs> look at you sound
2: like a genuine solid
1: right well I, I will
2: say my other Instagram handle compassion healing services is my professional account my personal account is the feminist yogi so yeah. I do have to um I do have to live up to that reputation for sure Very point blank that's how we live
1: we just is equal opportunity you love me I love you back it's very simple it's very simple yeah. It appears we have another break upon us. Let's jump into that. We'll go ahead and unplug for a second, but don't go far because we're coming right back to ask a few more questions as we get to know each other.
0: Trauma, spirituality and intersectionality are common threads that tie our life experiences together. Understanding trauma, exploring spirituality as a tool to heal and looking at it all through an intersectional lens is what makes our show unique. By tuning into Even We Know That with Latoya Green and Kat Schwartz, you will gain valuable insight and clarity on the issues that affect us most, whether you realize it or not. Tune in on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. This is Even We Know That with Latoya Green and Kat Wars. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You can also send an email to evenweknowthat@gmail.com. Now back to the program.
1: All right, we are thickening the plot. I'm here with my with my girl Pat Um, We have been definitely having some great conversation. I'm learning some things myself over here. So if I make some faces like, hmm, ha," it's because I've been enlightened just as much as you are. Kat, I want to ask, um, I think something, it's a really big question. So if it takes you a a minute to come up with something, I get it, I got it, because I'm going to cheat and ask you first so I can think of my answer. Uh, (laughs) But what is something that... Uh, would surprise people the most to know about you but it's something that if you based on you know the relationship you build the people you've talked to if you said this to somebody who's been knowing you a while they might even be shocked like really What's, what's something that might surprise people about you
2: think I can think of two one being um, it's a little surprising that I'm doing a show that I'm putting myself out there in this way because I grew up with a very strong belief because my brother literally told me every single day of my life that nobody cared what I had to say right Mm. I mean I grew up in a um, emotionally abusive and neglectful household um, among other abuses and not only you know you're what I know now is that your beliefs shape your reality, right? Yeah. And because that's a, a belief that was instilled in me so young, it I really did then attract and surround myself with people, including an ex-husband, who really didn't care <laughs> very much what I had to say, right? And that yeah. took me getting to the point of suicidality for me to realize that, you know, I didn't want to end my life. I wanted to end the life I was living, essentially. Right. And that took a lot of um, courage to really um, start sharing my voice right? in a way that was, for the most part, caused me to lose the people that I had in my life at that time. I mean, I, I'm living a very, very different existence than I was just a few years ago. And mm-hmm. that is in large, large part because of my choice to be heard, right? And because of my choice not to be silent anymore about the things that had Um, traumatized me when I was younger and were continuing to traumatize me. The other, I think, is just how much I've been through, really. I I don't think it's um, I think it would surprise most people to know what I all that I've been through, whether it be in my childhood, uh, throughout my marriage, my own suicidal crisis, and then the very, very challenging reality of living with a partner who has such severe trauma. She's a human trafficking survivor Mm -hmm. and she was. adopted by an abusive family and experienced a lot of abuse throughout her life. So um, turns out that severe trauma has severe consequences, right? So as the caregiver of a woman with severe mental illness, I have been through a lot. And I think much more than people um, would realize um, looking at me.
1: You know, you mentioned that. And before I answer the question for myself, I want to make sure that people who are listening come back and listen to our conversation next week where we talk about trauma, right? We yeah. really peel back some layers and explore not only the current ways that complex trauma is resonating in our lives, really, um, as any therapist will tell you, dialing it back and looking back to prior life experiences, uh, prior formative experiences that have really shaped and influenced the version of you that we get from day to day. So that is going to be a great conversation and I'm excited to have with you uh, just because I think it really starts to help people get some insight into who they are and how mm-hmm. they understand their reality. Um, for me, I think I would surprise people who got closer to me if they knew that I was a lot quieter and had a bigger relationship to like quiet and not talking uh, than they might think. Mm -hmm. I've always been known to be this very outgoing, engaging, even in school. Like I used to get marks like Toya Green is a joy to have in class, but she is just very talkative. She talks to everybody, whatever. And as I've gotten older, my personality has changed. I think I've grown and evolved in ways that we all do. But one of the things that is super interesting to me is the people closest to me, the people who don't really know me that much, know me to be this really outgoing, really, hey, hi, what's going on? Like, just, I'm there. I'm very, bring you in, never meet a stranger, not afraid to talk to you, whatever. But the people closest to me are like, you're really quiet. You know, and I've noticed that more in my adult life, at this stage in my life, the people who describe me or like, you know, you don't really, you're not very, you're in, an introvert, right? We look at introversion and extroversion and it's, it's always the, you, there are a lot of people who are like, I'm a, I'm in the middle somewhere. And I'm one of those people that really experiences life as this very, uh, introverted ex- expert, right? Uh, extrovert rather, who yeah. is, is very flip switching. Now I bring, I think to this because, you know, you want to know why, like, I'm always very interested in the whys and how I'm wired and what's going on in my brain from moment to moment. And a couple of things in terms of my just self-inventory that I've done can, I think, describe or explain how we get here. Number one, I'm a Gemini. And I totally I was believe and um, my representative. I have representatives. They're all the same. They're the same person. <laughs> um, But there is a very intentional negotiation uh, for who I'm sending to mm-hmm. deal with that moment and I think the the more prominent the strong twin is is a lot more lax is a lot more chill is a lot more disconnected and unplugged and just on vibes mm-hmm. than some people might suspect or at least that I've I've come to know just based on superficial relationships and deeper relationships that I have the second is that I've been um there is a woman on Instagram I think her name is Hannah Knows Bodies or something like that and I'm going to talk about her yeah. more when we have our fat phobia conversation but one of the Uh, conversation she was having alludes to individuals who experience fatness, who identify as fat, who are fat, who live in bigger bodies, and particularly as women, the level of compensation that we have to do to make sure we are perceived as a good fat, Mm -hmm. right? Not a bad fat, not a lazy fat, not a stupid fat, not a Mm -hmm. disconnected fat, not an oblivious fat, not a fat who's not aware that they fat, but a very good likable fat, a good you know, identifiable fat, a fat that doesn't have to just be fat. She's fat and can talk good. She can fat and she can sing good. She's fat and she can read and she can fat. And so I think a lot about the way that I've curated my personality, like we all do, right? We always do. And as a common scholar, right, I think about face work or what we do to rehabilitate the versions of ourselves we present to people from moment to moment. And so a lot of that has to do with the body that I lived in. So when we talk about intersectionality, this yeah. is also another component of what shapes my day to day. I'm a black, queer, millennial, able-bodied, English-speaking citizenship-having fat woman, right? Mm And so all of those work together to create a very unique experience for me. And I think that shapes a lot of my identity and personality too. And then also another conversation we'll get to later, but the wheels have been spinning, especially as we become more apt to talk about mental health and um, mental, uh, I guess, neural divergences are the way that I'm wired on the inside. There are a lot of aversions. There are a lot of issues. There are a lot of anxieties and things that I work through and navigate through internally. My internal voice, there's always somebody talking up there. As quiet as I really kind of present. One so, of the please.
2: one of the conversations we'll have that I think we'll touch on this in a little bit more detail <laughs> is our conversation around ego versus intuition, right? Absolutely. And I call that, I call that voice or that itty bitty shitty committee. Come on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you 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 knocked that out on me and I, it cracked me up. It took me the whole conversation because I've always heard itty bitty titty committee, um, <laughs> but the itty bitty shitty committee is just as ridiculous and probably. It's just a as... different
2: committee. It's definitely yeah. a different committee. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but they they be up there having meetings, child. They be having they, they so
2: sure well.
1: They be let commuting. Me you, let me and ask you
2: a question. What please. are you most passionate about changing in this world?
1: Most passionate about changing in this world honestly and this gives me a good chance to kind of get in my hd bag and talk about why i even started higher definition leadership and empowerment coaching um is is i wish there were more leaders in this mm-hmm. world i think we can look at and and when i say leaders i'm not just talking about your biden's your mccarthy's your uh schumer's uh putin's the i'm not Xi Jinping. i'm not talking about literal like capital l leaders them too Right. Like not but not just those leaders. I'm talking about leadership as it exists in our relationships, mm-hmm. uh, leadership when nobody else is behind you. So the personal traits, the habits, the behaviors, the tendencies we have as individuals uh, in our real lives that get us closer to what we want. Leaders in our communities, leaders in our social relationships. I very muchly, um think that the world will be made better by leaders. Um, and leadership mentality and a relationship to excellence and elevation that is not solely based on your title or on accolades or on uh, glitz and glamour around your name but it's really about the the. It's a, I always say leadership is not a title it's a personality trait either you got it or you don't um, and so much of our lives I'll go back to this shooting just because it's really been heavy on my heart this week but I hear so many republic uh, republican or conservative congress people um, and policymakers pass the buck or just vehemently exclaim that they're not changing any policy about anything. I forget the name of the representative uh, down, in ten- down in down in Tennessee, but he looked straight at the camera and said, we're not changing nothing. <laughs> and continued to walk away to the elevator as we look at the wake of uh, three children and, and three adults who have been entrusted with the care of protecting those lives gone. Um, but- but but I always think if we
2: didn't if we didn't do anything after Sandy Hook, right? I mean, that's that's really where things became very grim for uh, and our lawmakers, for sure.
1: Sandy Hook to Parkland, Parkland to Uvalde, Uvalde mm-hmm. to what happened in Memphis, and so I, it, it, I that's because people ain't got no backbone. They, they don't have any principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are adept in the area of morality. Uh, And we don't have to share the same morality. There's no fundamental basic level of what we believe is good or bad anymore. And it's because people are so committed to falling with a crowd or getting the bag or getting the money or getting the payoff or leaning into their biases that we don't even do common sense things anymore, like protect young people, like secure uh, our schools, like take things off the streets that allow for these types of tragedies to happen but I look at so many other examples It's leaders I'm sorry followers who are shaping policy and relationships to critical race theory and how we come to understand the history and baggage in this country it's a bunch of followers that are building toxic relationships with people in their day to day lives yeah. right because they followed the trend of of being heartless and not caring and building toxic relationships and uh this i i i I speak expansively to young groups I'm sorry to young people to small groups to individuals to organizations to government agencies you pick them and i sit down and i talk about and give them applicable applicable principles of leadership and leadership development because it's something that has gone from so many of the cracks and crevices that shape our society
2: and that really segues beautifully into what i'm most passionate about changing which is really the the face and the stigma around mental illness mm-hmm. right No, you identify as fat, I identify as crazy. And I mean that totally unironically, (laughs) (laughs) right? I was diagnosed as bipolar back in Mm -hmm. 2017. I was told I needed to be on mood stabilizers for the rest of my life. It was the combination of the fact that those mood stabilizers were completely intolerable to my system for me. And I'm not speaking for everyone, for me personally, they were um, worse than the symptoms, the, the side effects rather were worse than the symptoms I was treating. Right. And um, so I wound up going off of the medication that I was being given, getting a correct diagnosis. Again, very uh, excited for our conversation next week of complex PTSD that at mm-hmm. the time was um, something I had never heard of. And it uh, that diagnosis absolutely changed my life, helped me to heal the trauma, the underlying complex trauma that was causing the mental health. Health symptoms. And I no longer um, have the symptomology of bipolar. And I also discovered in 2018, much to my shock, as I said before, I was an atheist for 18 years, that a lot of what I had been calling mental illness or what had been perceived by others as mental illness was, in fact, spiritual giftedness, Hmm. right? I have. Um, I have abilities in the extrasensory perception realm of claircognizance and clairsentience that I tap into and work with now with my clients. It's very much a part of my um, professional resume, right? Absolutely. And so, you know, when we talk about mental illness, I want to give voice to the voiceless to so many that are being um silence because yeah. that that having gone through that experience it seemed to me that the goal of treatment was to silence me right yeah. the goal of treatment was to make me stop seeing that, saying those things that were making others uncomfortable mm-hmm. or to medicate me to the point essentially of not being functional right and, um, and, and then we we do that to people, and then we wonder why we lose so many and in an increasing amounts to suicide, to deaths of despair, from alcoholism, to, to acts, heroin of, violence. Addiction, to acts exactly. of violence that we've been talking about, right? I mean, these aren't head scratchers. they're related, <laughs> right?
1: yeah, i I had to sit back in my seat because it just kind of blew my mind away the way that you are piecing together the the different sides of this i think we have to take a break but when we come back we got a couple more questions before we clean it up for today but that solid let's talk more in a second
0: trauma spirituality and intersectionality are common threads that tie our life experiences together understanding trauma exploring spirituality as a tool to heal and looking at it all through an intersectional lens is what makes our show unique by tuning into even we know that with latoya green and kat Schwartz you will gain valuable insight and clarity on the issues that affect us most, whether you realize it or not. Tune in on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. This is Even We Know That with LaToya Green and Catch Wars. To participate in the program, join the live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. You can also send an email to even we know that at gmail.com. Now back to the program.
1: All right, Kat, I'm going to toss to you. I think we probably got time for maybe two more questions. And then we want to tell folks where to find us so they can keep coming back for the conversations from week to week. So I want to ask you this one. What is something that gives you hope for the future?
2: Hmm.
1: What is what is something that gives you hope in the future?
2: children (laughs) honestly this the generations that have come you know after me you included right there is an age difference between us i am not a millennial (laughs) i am 44 years old i guess i'm gen x right i'm at the end of gen x and um i'm a mom i'm a mom of a 12 year old and nine year old um they're they're not biological twins I have a nine-year-old my fiance has a nine-year-old who is one day older than my (laughs) nine-year-old right (laughs) that was a sign that was a sign from the universe um so yeah so as a mom um and somebody who has um through them and um you know their classmates been exposed to um what this generation is bringing I'm just so excited right yeah. I mean for me being a Gen Xer especially as a 12 13 year old girl fighting the fight in my own racist family right Of, uh, yeah. um you know about their uh what their the people they were listening to the radio were spouting as as truth which even as a child I knew what didn't resonate as truth right yeah. um I was pretty rare for my generation versus now there's so many, um, you know, I truly believe that, you know, we we live many lifetimes, right? I'm, I'm a believer, I guess you could say in reincarnation that mm-hmm. as, we, as we leave these human bodies, we expand into what um, that lifetime has allowed us to become. I um, mean, we become more as a result of the lives that we live. And then the generations that come after us are are representative of that right are representative of that um expanded thinking yeah. expansion and growth really is the the whole point of life in my view so um so yeah so when we talk about hope for the future um you know i i know a lot of, it's it's very common among uh, generations to to pretend as though the the generation that came after them is the problem but i'm well aware i say it often that i am the guide, like the tour guide, but my kids are the teachers,
1: (laughs) (laughs) right? I I agree so heavily with you, even though we have an age gap and some differences and I don't have children that I've birthed myself. I am um, a professor, right? Mm -hmm. And I also teach middle school and high school uh, speech and debate. And so, you know, I'm at a place in my life professionally and socially that, you know, 9-11 is not the most poignant example I can come up with to explain something anymore. The kids don't get it. They don't connect with it. And so the conversations that I'm having with students who I get to see them in rare form, I get to see them when they're trying their hardest, when they're working to be their truest selves, and when they are buying into the dream that they've been sold that something about what they're doing now will matter later. And I see a lot of dynamic and amazing young people come through my classrooms, come through my doors with a lot of what you said, uh, an insistence, uh, a, a a harder exterior and a, a, a disinterest with the nonsense and with the small talk and with the games. And so I'm really hoping that, you know, with 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 our help right with my desire to create as many leaders as I possibly can and we get people still you know unafraid to jump at the forefront and be the currents of change and the waves of change that we are anticipating and And I have a
2: I have a distinct memory of my father um you know we were having a debate when I was younger and I have a distinct memory of him saying you know you'll understand when you're older and I said you know what dad I'm not the one who doesn't understand
1: (laughs) 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 okay Can I ask you one last question before we go?
2: Please, yeah. All right,
1: this is a serious question. Need a serious answer. Don't worry about the haters. They might disagree, but I want you to own your answer. Okay, so there are many ways to consume a potato. It can be scalloped, it can be totted, it can be (laughs) shoestringed, it can be waffled, it can be once baked, it can be twice baked, it can be fully loaded. It could just have a little dash of salt and pepper on it and be good. Um, What cat is the best way to consume a potato? Go.
2: Do I have to choose one or can I like- Just
1: one, just one and you have to tell us why
2: uh all right I'm gonna go with the french fry I guess but I mean there are so many there there are so many ways to get french fries wrong but when french fries are right I guess that would be my follow
1: up question who has the best fry <laughs> who has the best fry in the game right now
2: uh, you know what that is a very hard question for me to answer <laughs> oh I know um Arby's because Arby's has curly the curly
1: fry the curly that that's, that's a redeemable the correct answer that's a reasonable answer uh, i want to say princess we saw your question but we're going to talk about some of that maybe later on in the different conversations we have uh, as we go through so looking at our relationship statuses and how that shapes our relationship to trauma uh, but i do want to say in terms of my potato um selection uh, I, I like a good tot shout out to sonic i think they do it right i think you can find them almost everywhere america's drive-in a good tater tot has never done me wrong and then Christine says Ken's fries in Stratford. That's something I'm gonna have to put on my list to figure out and find out an experience for myself. And a
2: loaded baked potato like that. If I had to go in the number two spot, I'd go with a loaded baked potato.
1: I've been invited to Canada. Apparently Ken's <laughs> is up in Canada. So that's where I need to be sooner rather than well, later.
2: Canada is where they have disco fries, right? This
1: is, true. This is and, yeah. and, and putin, putin. putin. Wait, I are putin. those
2: not the same thing? I disco like-
1: fry, I've never heard of a disco fry in my life.
2: The Canadians are going to have to help us out here.
1: (laughs) Let's talk. We'll we'll talk more potatoes later. Before we get up out of here, Kat, where can people find you as we prepare to jump back in next week, same place, same time to have a deeper conversation?
2: Absolutely. You can find me on Instagram, two places. Compassionate Healing Services is my business account. You can follow me, my, my personal account at The Feminist Yogi. I can be found on TikTok at Compassionate Healing. My website is CHS. That's the first three letters of Compassionate Healing Services, yoga.com. And you can uh, email us at even we know that at gmail.com. I can be found personally at cat at chsyoga.com. And how Love about
1: Even we know that uh, at gmail.com is an amazing place to get both of us. For me, I want to encourage you. I want to help push through your week. I want to make sure you feel good about what's in front of you and that you can start to move away from the things holding you back. So meet me at Higher Definition, L-E-C, at Higher Definition, just like your TV, L-E-C, Leadership and Empowerment Coaching. You can meet me there on Instagram. You can meet me there on TikTok. And you can go to higherdefinitionlec.com right now and figure out and learn a little bit more about the services that I offered and the ways that maybe I can help enhance your day-to-day. So if you are interested and in invested, CHS Yoga, Higher Definition LEC, just come back next week. You'll see us again. You'll hit us again. I believe we are out of here. Kat, it's been great. We're going to catch everybody next week.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Even We Know That show. Latoya and Kat return Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Until then, don't be afraid to say the quiet parts out loud.